We are in Matthew 11. Matthew 11, if you have a Bible, if you have a Bible app, please turn there. It'll be more fun if you do. And Jesus answered them, go and tell John the Baptist what you hear and see. The blind will receive their sight. And the lame walk, lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Father, we give you this time and we pray we would not waste your time, that we would have open ears to hear what you want to speak to us, whether encouragement, comfort, or uh, maybe to tell us to turn from something we're doing. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you guys, we had a football game yesterday, and sadly, that old mule kicked the gnarly goat in the face, and we lost at the very last minute. Go Navy, beat Army is all I can say. So, Army, have your day. Have your day. I just will remind you that we won 14 years in a row. So, we're going to let you have a couple. All right, so we're in Matthew 11. And we're going to see this weird scene with John the Baptist in just a second, but I kind of want to give you like some context. In my office, I have a couch and that couch is kind of like Barbara Walters. You know, they say when you go in to meet with Barbara Walters for an interview, what happens? Everyone cries. Even people that think there's no way she's going to make me cry, they end up crying. My couch is a place people cry. And usually the scene's like this, husband and wife are at odds. The couple that used to skip together and hold hands and call each other to the wee hours of the morning and send each other with their younger text or long letters now are turned against each other. Oftentimes one has found a friend and his or her pain, they found a friend. They brought, broke their marriage vows. And so usually that person's on the couch and they're telling the story. And first of all, I want to say if you come to the office, you have a lot of wisdom you have a lot of courage. It's much easier to stay at home, stay locked down, don't seek counsel, and just let the devil beat, beat the tar out of you. So anybody that comes, I understand it's hard. I've gone to a counselor. I remember the first time I went to a Christian counselor, kind of doing this, went to wear a ski mask, you know, put on a, a nose and a eyebrows, and I walked in there and half our church was in the, the waiting room of the, the counselor's office. Hey, pastor, how you doing? Great. I'm fine. Sounds good. Uh, but the point being, I salute you if you do... Admit, hey, sometimes we need help, we need prayer, we need coaching. Um, but what happens often is the person that's broken the marriage vow, the person that's committed adultery, sits on my couch and just cries unbelievably. Like, it's, it's amazing. Like, they're broken and all this stuff is coming out. And that's good. But in and of itself, it, I, I tell them, like, that's awesome. But in and of itself, tears don't really mean anything. Right? I mean... Actors can cry on demand. What I tell them is, God has grace to forgive any sin. But for the sake of your spouse, you're going to have to not say, I'm sorry. Saying I'm sorry in and of itself means nothing. Words are cheap. It's action over time. And the Bible says that godly sorrow leads to repentance and then salvation. Earthly or worldly sorrow just ends in death. And so I know what it is to see somebody crying, but what I try to say, and I just say, listen, if you really are broken, if you have godly sorrow, then God will give you the grace day by day to, first of all, stop doing what you're doing. 
That's the first thing. Whatever it takes, stop it. Walk away. Burn your phone. Get rid of whatever you have to do. But two, the way you're going to show your spouse that it's safe to be married to you again is, is by showing actions over time. Deeds. Deeds. James probably wasn't all wrong. And so we see here this amazing story of John is in prison. And uh, he's starting to hear about the deeds that Jesus did. And we're going to get there. But first, let's look at verse 1. It says, Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples. When he had finished instructing them, he went on to teach and preach in their cities. Now, that's kind of a, for most of us, we read that and go, yeah, so what? Except for it's instructive. I learned from my reformed brothers, my PCA brothers, that a pastor should not spend three or four hours preparing a sermon. They need to get into the word and spend a lot of their work day and their work week in the scriptures so that the preacher can equip y'all so you can be fully equipped, not blown to and fro. However, what we notice is that Jesus, while he did spend a lot of time teaching and instructing his disciples, he also, there was a time where he goes, okay, we're done for today. Now he's going to go out and share the gospel with others. And so both are needed. Study, but there's a time to study and there's a time to stop studying and go witness and testify and share and speak of the hope because we don't want to keep giving the gospel to the same people till they're saturated with it while these people are starving to death. So that's the beginning. Verse 2, it says, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples, and he said to him, Are you the one? John's asking this through his disciples. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another. And the first question I have for you is, why is John the Baptist in prison? You could go in Matthew 14, a little bit later in, in the text, and they're looking back and telling about something John did that landed himself in prison. What did he do? He called out the, the most powerful man in the land. He called out Herod. Herod had divorced his wife, married his brother's wife, and, and John the Baptist says, what you're doing is unlawful. It's not of the Lord. You need to stop and repent. And Herod had this strange thing with John where he kind of liked him, kind of like hearing from him, but this time he didn't like the message. He put him in prison. And eventually John would be put to death. So he's in prison, rotting, waiting for his death. But while he's in there, uh, he starts to hear he starts to hear all the things Jesus was doing. Now, what strikes you as super weird about this? That John the Baptist would have to ask about Jesus through his, John's followers. Are you the one to come, Jesus, or is there another? Why does that strike you as weird? Yeah, they were cousins. Do you remember the story when Mary, Jesus' mother, comes to visit Elizabeth Inside Elizabeth is a baby, six-month baby, in utero baby. That's John the Baptist. And the minute Mary crosses the threshold with Jesus in her womb, this baby, by the Holy Spirit, knew that Messiah had entered the house. And the Bible recounts that John the Baptist in the womb jumped. He, he leapt. He leapt for joy. Is it leaped or leapt? English majors. Leaped or leapt. Let us know by next week. Thanks. Perfect. 
And so it's odd to me that a baby that knew Jesus was the Messiah, even in the womb, the same guy who had baptized him, and Jesus comes up to him and goes, um, I need you to baptize me. Johnny goes, no, 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 no. You, Jesus, need to be baptizing me. And so he knew. And in fact, he even spoke it. When Jesus came forward to the river for baptism, what did John the Baptist say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, unlike other prophets who said, uh, Messiah is going to be like this. Messiah is going to look like this. John actually is not simply prophesying what's going to happen in seven or 800 years. He's proclaiming, like the candle, proclaiming and announcing this is the one that all the prophets pointed to. He's the one and he is now here. God is with us, Emmanuel. So super weird that he would ask, Jesus, are you really the one? He knew Jesus was the one. So why now is he asking? He's asking because he spent, who knows, months in prison, eating cockroaches and maggots and stale bread, cold water running on him, damp, filthy, smelly, knows death is all in the place. And in that setting, in that setting, it was very easy for John to say, hmm, did God really say all this that I thought about Jesus being Messiah, if he's Messiah, why am I in jail rotten? And I'm, I'm thinking, the text doesn't say it explicitly, I think in the crucible of suffering, in isolation in a prison cell, he began to wonder himself. And what I want to take from that is sometimes we're in a crucible. Sometimes we've had a loved one die. We just got a message, Tim just got a message, a 19-year-old boy, Wills, was lifting weights, friend of our congregation, this this morning, and it, and it killed him. And his parents are in grief, so you can pray for wills. But I think John the Baptist was being crushed by the ugliness of his situation. And it was clouding his vision, the things that he knew that he knew that he knew. All of a sudden, in the crucible of suffering, he's thinking like, God, where are you? Where are you? Have you even the good faithful people sometimes say, Lord, where are you? I don't like what's going on here. I don't like what's going on with my kid. I don't like what's going on with my dying parent. I don't like to see what's happening to young children being abused in our city. God, where are you? And so we see the honesty of John. Are you the one who's to come? And so Jesus answers him. Jesus is not afraid of questions. You know, conservatives, we need to understand that. Hello? Jesus is not afraid of questions. He doesn't go, shut up, you mechanical ninny. He doesn't, he doesn't upbraid him. Right? Excuse me, because I shouldn't say that word. It's a bad word. Inside word, not an outside word. Okay. Shouldn't say the word shut up. However, however, Jesus is not afraid of questions. So he says, hey, just go tell John this. And he's really, what Jesus is doing is pointing back to the same prophets who told about Messiah coming. And so we see in Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61 that the blind are going to see when Messiah comes. And the deaf are going to hear. And those who are in prison of any sort a prison like John or even a prison of something we've wrapped ourselves in, that he came to, for, to, to bring liberty to those that are in prison. The lame will walk, the blind will see, the deaf will hear. He says, go tell John what you're seeing, what you guys are presently seeing and hearing, tell John. And he knew that as soon as they told him that, what they had witnessed with their own eyes and ears, 
John would know that that points to the Messiah. It is the Messiah. Only Messiah can do that. In fact, when Jesus started healing people, he healed the widow of Nain's son. The people said, oh, is this man a great prophet? We think God himself. God is working through this man. And so Jesus told him, like, just tell him this. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Verse 7, it says, as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. Jesus loved John. Jesus really did. And he goes, what are you guys thinking? Do you think he's going to be like a concierge at a five-star hotel? You think he's going to be a wispy little fellow who you can just tell him this and that and he'll bend to your will? No. John had a backbone of titanium. He was on a mission. He ate locusts. He wore dead animal skins. He was a man's man, and he called it like he saw it. And Jesus said he is the great prophet. In fact, he's more than a prophet. The prophets predicted what was, was going to happen. He's now proclaiming what is, that Jesus, Messiah, is here with us. All right. Let's skip down just a little bit. Let's go. Verse 11. It says, truly I say to you, Jesus says, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. In other words, of all the, the men and women who've ever split the womb, who've ever come from the womb, no one born of, born of a woman has ever been greater than John the Baptist. And yet, he says, but in, in the kingdom of God, John the Baptist is least. Do you remember when he said, you must be born again. He tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. You've got to be born of the water and the spirit. Not just an earthly birth. We all have that. But there's another birth, a spiritual birth, where you come into Christ. And so John the Baptist is the greatest man born of woman ever. And yet he stands on the precipice of the kingdom breaking in and just announces it and proclaims it. And then we have this really strange verse. It says, look at verse 12. It says, from the days of John the Baptist until now. So that hasn't been that long. From the days of John the Baptist until now, it's, it says the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And the violent take it by force. So Jesus said, from the time of John the Baptist until now. That's not very long. A couple of years. A bunch of years. Uh, from that time, it says, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent have taken it by force. Now, I uh, looked it up online, looked at about nine commentaries, and everybody that answered it, you know, it kind of reminds me in 10th grade when I didn't read the book, and I got the um, cliff notes, and I was so lazy I wouldn't even read all the cliff notes, I'd just read the chat chapter summary of the cliff notes, and the teacher would ask you something, and you would just start making something up, talking off your head. Or if you've ever read papers of like kids high school, or even college, and they clearly have not read the material. And they're just spewing forth all this stuff like their teacher is going to be great. Oh, wow, that's amazing. The teacher knows the information. And yet, nobody seems to know what this means. The kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, what I'm going to do, because I need help if I can figure this out, let me, uh, let me phone a friend. Hey, Siri. Can you uh, call Tim Henderson? (laughs) 
quick. Hey, uh, Tim, so like, I, I got a situation. I'm in Matthew 11. Yeah. And verse 12, like nobody knows what it means. It says the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violence will take it by force. And I knew about phone a friend, so I thought maybe you, maybe you could help me out here. Oh, there, oh. Yeah, right here. Oh, okay. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, okay. That wasn't planned at all. Yeah. <laughs> so what does it mean, dude? Dude, nobody knows. You're exactly right. I mean, you can read every commentary and they all got like, you know, it means one of these three or four things and then they pick and then it's weird and none of them fit. It's, right. It's tough. Right. You guys, the commentators are like blind school children throwing darts. They, they have no idea what it means. And the reason I spend time bringing this up is you read the Bible. And there are times you read something and you go, I don't know what that means. And sometimes it takes a little effort and you can find it, like in the notes or something, or you can Google it. This is a tough passage. And what I want to say is you're not a freak if you read the Bible and there's something you go, I just can't understand this. An old preacher told me, Canon Brian Green said, when you read scripture, eat the fish, set aside the bones. Down the road, those bones may actually be fish for you. But right now, you don't have the ability to understand that. So just eat what you can eat. All right. Thanks, Tim. That's, that's a big help. It says, for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, it is Elijah's to come. And let's look at verse 16, because we've got to hurry up. It says, uh, but to what shall I compare this generation? Jesus said, what should I compare all you guys to? And he compares them to, to school children. Look what he says. Clearly, he's quoting something of the day. He goes, we played the flute for you, but you did not dance. Eh. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. In other words, Jesus, we just want to get this straight with you. We are the hand in the glove. You're the glove. We're the hand in the glove. We tell you what we want. What are those little, uh, little things on strings? Are they called minuets? <laughs> no wonder nobody in the first service knew when I said min minuets. Marionettes. Thank you. Where were y'all at the first service? You weren't here. Um, so somebody controls a little stick figure, right? Right, the, the, that, that, that's what people try to do with Messiah. They try to control him. Oh, yeah, sure, I you know, appreciate the ticket to heaven, but really, I'm still God. And Jesus is like, this is what this generation is like. They want to control me. They want to take me on their terms, not my terms. And then it ends with a strange verse. Verse 18 through uh, 19. So let's read it, and then we'll unpack it real quick. It says, for John, i.e. John the Baptist, came neither eating nor drinking. And they say he has a demon. On the other hand, the Son of Man, Jesus, came eating and drinking. And they say, look at him. Look at Jesus. He's a glutton, and he's a drunkard. A glutton, and a, they accused him. He's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And so I want you to listen carefully. The Bible has a lot to say about alcohol. There are a lot of positive uses of alcohol in the Bible. The Passover, the Last Supper, Psalm 104, I think. Wine maketh the heart of man glad. There are also plenty of other scriptures that say, watch, watch out for the red in the cup. It sparkles nice and shiny. But sometimes it'll bite you. You'll have wounds without cause. You'll have sorrow. There's the pattern of addictions there. And so we want to have a right view of alcohol. Some people, some Christians say, don't drink at all. That goes beyond scripture. The other Christians that say, I want to drink as much as I want and leave me alone. 
And that goes beyond scripture. At a time where I was taking a time out, you ever had a time out? Drinking where you said, this thing's starting to control me and not me control it. Instead of being a blessing, it's starting to be a thing of sorrow. So you take a time out. During one of those timeouts, I read this passage and I was amazed. Look what the religious people are doing. On John the Baptist, who didn't drink alcohol, what do they say about him? Dude's a freak. He eats locusts. He wears dead animal skins. He's a freak, right? He's got a demon. And out of the same breath, the same religious people had a comment about this man who ate and drank, clearly alcohol. And what did they say about this man? He's a glutton and a... So the, so the religious people accused Jesus of being a drunkard. And the Bible's clear, he never sinned. The point of bringing this up is not so you'll flee to the, the ABC store today and get hammered. <laughs> I just want our people to have a right view. Some of us need a timeout. Some of us have already had our share. And some of us, we're fine with it. Like, it's, it's not a thing. It's a blessing for you. What I want you to see is what I discovered at a time where I was not drinking, is that the, the scripture does not forbid alcohol use. And in fact, they tried to, 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 they tried to say Jesus was a sinner because he drank alcohol. And all I want to say is we need to have a right view of it. Don't be afraid to have a right view of the scriptures and hold them in your hands. And friends, so we see Jesus and he says, I'm the one. I've come. I'm the one. I am Emmanuel. The one that all the prophets talked about. I am he. If you can't see, I'll open your eyes. If you can't hear, they'll be hearing but never hearing. If you can't hear, I'll open your ears. If you're without hope, I'll give you hope. If you're lame, I'll make you walk. If you're depressed, if you're sad, I came to set captives free. Jesus is a God of freedom. He wants us to know his freedom. He came neither eating nor drinking. They called him a demon. The son of man came both eating and drinking. And they said, he's a drunkard and a glutton. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.